Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Um, I wanted to say I was excited, but my producer told me that I'm always excited, so <laughs> I am not excited to be here today. I'm overjoyed. I'm uh, elated. Ecstatic. Ecstatic. Uh, um, I'm... It's a pleasure to be here. Um, today, I have with me uh, Quincy Weekly, who is one of the new comedy faces um, to come to L.A. comedy scene, um, originally from the Bay Area, um, and has quickly become a favorite of the L.A. comedy hotspots. Um, and after moving to L.A. to for film and television, he began working at the oldest comedy club in the nation, the Ice House. <laughs> and um, after sitting in the sound booth and watching comics like George Lopez, Orny Adams, Billy... Gardell, who I did not know who that was. I know him, but I didn't know him. Um, Brad Garrett, he quickly realized he had a passion for stand-up comedy. And you have been a guest on Craig Shoemaker's national radio show. You've opened for George Lopez, Tommy Davidson, and Damon Wayans. He plays second in the LA's Super Bowl of Comedy, traveled overseas for the troops, and um, Pasadena Weekly says he has a way of bringing you into his world, making you laugh until you cry, and leaves you wanting more. So be sure to catch him the next time you're here at the Comedy Store um, or any of those other hot spots in L.A. or as he travels the nation. Welcome. Thank Quincy. you. I haven't <laughs> read my bio in a while. Oh, do we need to update no, it? No, it just Is makes it... me sound really cool. Oh, no, yeah. No, <laughs> I'm, like, oh. I'm telling you. I'm oh, telling yeah, that's you. me. That's mm-hmm. you. Tommy Davidson, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, and Damon Wayans. I mean, I, you know, and George Lopez. I mean, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, none of those are bad if you, uh, you get one of those. Um so, um, you know, you're you're here at the store now, you, and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on at the store. Absolutely. And um, and we were just talking about getting to do the spots in the main room and all that stuff. What? So when you were at the Ice House and you were watching all these comics, um, how did you realize you had a passion? And was this something you – when did you know – was that when you knew? Or when you were little, did you say, I want to be a comic or I want to be a fireman? No, I never really thought about comedy as – a career, um, because it just wasn't as accessible, you yeah. know, I feel like. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and I come from a really kind of, you know, religious family, so it wasn't, like, my mom wasn't playing Richard Pryor albums or anything oh, like that. Yeah, he's or like very, Red Fox. very Christian. Yeah, whenever, you know, because you hear a lot of guys say that, oh, I used to listen to this in the basement. It's like, we, that wasn't happening uh, in my family. Okay. Uh, but I will say this, people have always told me that I made them laugh. Yeah. Uh, and I would remember times when people were like, come on, you know, make me laugh today. You always make me laugh. And I would think it was kind of strange because that was never, ever my goal. I never thought, oh, I'm going to go in here and make my coworkers laugh or make my friends laugh or <clears throat> or teammates laugh. It would just sort of happen. And then, uh, yeah, so that kind of thing made me think that, you know, it might be possible for me to do comedy. And then when I was sitting, you know, in the sound booth watching, that was amazing. I, yeah. You know, uh, getting to work. And my job was to watch comedy like all weekend. Uh, and what happened is someone started teaching a comedy class in the smaller room at the time at the Ice House. It was called the Annex. Right. They had a show. They had a class. They taught at PCC. They moved it to the Annex so the students could get used to being on stage. Uh, and I got a discount for the class because I was, you know, what set up the sound for the class. Right. And I worked on Sunday. So I just basically, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll just come in early and take the class before work. Uh, you know, and just do, and, uh, and that's kind of how it started. Um, it didn't start, I didn't start off 
going full board. But that's how it started, taking a class. And that's um, and now I'm here. So yeah. That's cool. So let me ask you this. So what when you were little and you're growing up in a house that mm-hmm. was a little bit more religious, um, what did your parents tell you about money? What did they tell you about your future? Okay, so uh, it's kind of the same thing, I think, a lot of black households. It's like, you know. Study hard. You could be a lawyer or a doctor. You know, I just remember that phrasing so often, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as, like, saving money, <clears throat> building credit, finances, we really didn't talk about, it, talk about it that much. Like, the real thing I remember about money was basically if you borrow money, always pay it back on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also – my mom was really big on tipping service. Like it's their job, you know, that's what they live off. So even if the service is kind of bad, make sure you tip. So that's kind of the only real money training that I received. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the household. Did they have a phrase that they used to say? Like money doesn't grow on trees kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of that. Yeah. It's uh money. I mean, a lot of Southern things I can't really, they don't really come to mind at this moment, but there's a lot of those things basically like don't waste money. Don't spend money frivolously, things like of that nature. Uh, but yeah, it was, to be honest though, it was not a lot of talk about money and I think it's, it's hurt. Definitely. Uh, yeah, it's hurt a lot. I would say. Well, and so I noticed one of the things you said was be a lawyer or whatever. And that's pretty common Mm -hmm. in a black household. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it, it pretty, I was, you know, I'm from the South originally. So where, I feel like that's something. Where are you from? Uh, Texarkana, Arkansas. Okay, I'm from Tennessee. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Because I, I was thinking Bay Area. That's not really the South. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's south of you know. Yeah. Port Portland. But, we moved uh, there in like uh, when I was in fifth grade. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So middle school and high school, and you, some college. Now, even though like when your parents were saying be a lawyer and all that stuff, did you feel like that that um, was a real possibility for you? I mean, were there hurdles? Do you feel like yeah, there are things that. Like in the real world, that ain't gonna happen. Uh, I I, I kind of did feel like it was a possibility, but I, it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted. Mm-hmm. So it's like I didn't. I understood that you know it, the prestige in being a lawyer or a doctor and how that would be, you know, um, how everyone in the family would be happy about it and that sort of thing. But like, it's not something that I'd wanted to do. Like being a lawyer, or doctor, you know. And I played a lot of sports when I was younger, so that was really more of my thoughts at the time. Was like, oh, I'm just gonna keep. Playing sports, I'm good now. I make all-star teams always. I'm always a starter. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to, you know, ride that out until I can't do that anymore. Uh, and then, you know, the older I got, I, you start to see the separation of, like, you know, superstars and pro athletes. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, that then that, then that falls by the wayside. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you could, what would you have, would football have been your game or? Uh, yeah. I, would, I, I probably, to be honest, I was probably best at wrestling. Okay. Um, I. I just didn't like re- – it just wasn't as cool a yeah. sport as the other ones. But I was really good at wrestling. The first year I wrestled was seventh grade, uh, and I was pretty good. And then in eighth grade, I went 21-1. and one. Oh, uh, sweet. Yeah. So – and I lost the last – match. it's a long story. But I lost the last match of the year, undefeated all season. Oh, man. I lost the last match of the year. Uh, but I was pretty good at wrestling, and then I got recruited uh, by University of Nevada when I was in high school. But senior year uh, – all four of my wisdom teeth were impacting, oh, no. so I had to have them removed because it was like biting the inside of my jaw, and it was like you know messing up you know the structure of my teeth and my <clears throat> my jaw. So I had to get them all removed, and that was during wrestling season. But uh, and like I said at the time, I still wasn't. I would have rather played football or baseball than wrestling. Yeah, like uh, yeah. But I could have you know, 
I got recruited for college for wrestling, so I could have done that. So how did you decide to move to L.A.? Like, what was the <clears throat> impetus? All right, so uh, I moved from San Jose to Fresno with a few friends, uh, and then I started interning at a PBS station there because when I was in San Jose toward the end, uh, I interned at a public access television station Okay, at uh, Valley <clears> – <throat> wow, what's the name of – it was a junior college. I can't – believe i can't uh think of the name of it right now west valley that was the name of it. west valley junior college and they had a public access station there so i interned there and so i did a bunch of behind the scenes stuff a little bit of shooting a little bit of editing and that was fun and so i'm like okay when i got the opportunity to move I'm like uh you know i'm gonna go to school uh and then i want to do more production work and i interned at a pbs station and i ended up uh, taking over one of the locally produced programs that we produced at the PBS station mm-hmm. for like a year and a half. Uh, and then it just kind of outgrew the market. It's such a small market. And I moved to LA for, you know, the real deal. Uh, but what happened was then, you know, <laughs> it's sort of an eye opener. It's like Fresno is so small. <laughs> the market is terrible. Like professional work there was the news. Right. And I had ran the prompter a couple times for the, the night, nightly news. Right. And was, I would have just shot myself in the head. It's like just camera one, camera two. It was the same thing. Right. No art form whatsoever. <clears throat> anyway, so I got outgrown Fresno, and then I moved here and tried to get some work. And I just happened to get a job through like a friend of mine running sound because I had run sound for live television at right. the PBS station. So I happened to get a, a gig at the comedy club running sound. Which is like, oh, that's perfect. I run sound. All you have to do is turn on one mic, you know, um, turn on the speakers. Pretty easy. Yeah, pretty easy. And I get to watch comedy. So that's how the comedy started. Like, that was the natural progression. Moved here. First job I could really get to sort of stable was that job. And then it all kind of grew from there. Now, when you were in Fresno, did they pay you in raisins? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, I directed some of the the Selma marching band parade. They have the... Because that's where the the biggest raisin producer is. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we used to do that every year. So I directed some of the march. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So. I, I drive through Fresno a lot. I know all about the raisins. Um, and so um, so now you've been here um, and you're doing comedy. Like, would you be happier if you were, like, working behind the scenes? Or would you be happier if you had uh, weren't doing comedy but you had a lot more money? Or maybe you have lots of money. But, like... Like what are the pro- what 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 feeds your passion and what what makes you well honestly now um, <clears throat> it, I went through this period where I kind of wasn't sure what I really wanted to focus on because I was such a hobby comic for so long and I hadn't really set my mind on one thing I just had my hand in so many different you know I was production assistant you know I, I did comedy I just a bunch of things I uh, I did a bunch of stuff and I was never really focused. But now I, I understand that comedy is what makes me happy. It's my passion. Yeah. Nothing makes me happier <clears throat> and nothing makes me sadder or more sad than comedy. Besides, like, you know, family <laughs> issues, of course. Right. But uh, that comedy it does it for me. So that, I mean, I think I would be happy behind the scenes as well because it's still a creative. But comedy is just such a freedom. Yeah. So that I you can't get anywhere else. So <clears throat> that's a, yeah. Now, do you... So I have a a few comedy friends that uh, eight people to an apartment. Uh, do you have twenty roommates? Okay, you- so I was <laughs> that was part of my trend. I went through this uh, <clears throat> period of about three years of my time here. I've been here at the comedy store for like eight. Um, in three of those years, I uh, 
I was kind of away from comedy, um, to be perfectly honest. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I went through like a depressed period where I kind of mm-hmm. didn't know. I was just floating through life, you know, keeping my head above water uh, and just sort of I was a little bit too comfortable. I was L.A. comfortable. I had, right. you know, one roommate. Cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one roommate. I had the master bedroom. I had wow. secured parking. Uh, I was driving like a BMW. Uh, so I was like pretty comfortable, but I wasn't doing anything with my life. I was right. standing still. Uh, so two years ago is when, you know, I really made the change. Um, you've probably seen I bought the, the Odyssey minivan. I bought the minivan to use for when I go, because I go to San Diego a lot to do comedy. There's a lot mm-hmm. of quality stage time there. So you don't get paid much. Uh, and paying for a hotel is just like something I can't afford. So I sleep in my van when I go to uh, San Diego and then other surrounding parts that shows around here uh, that are outside of the city. Uh, I'll just I'll just sleep in my van. Um, and then I moved, I share a studio apartment with one person. So I just basically cut my overhead so that I don't have to work as much right. and I can perform more often. And then now at the comedy store, I'm a door guy, but I don't really work door. I work during the day on the phones. Yeah. So at night, I'm just out doing mics and getting doing as many shows as I can. So I'm really going after comedy more than I have ever before. Um, and it feels good. No, that's cool. Well, it's funny because my next question was going to be, how did you disp- decide to buy your, your current car? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and you just sort of, so, and did you pay cash for it? Did you finance uh, it? I did. I paid cash for it. Uh, it's funny because I was trying to build my credit because uh, my credit isn't bad. It's just not great. Right. Uh, so I was like, okay, so I think I'm just going to, you know, try to finance a used car and make the payments and, you know, build up my credit. Uh, but I'm really bad with money, which is a re- one of the reasons I decided – well, not decided. One of the reasons I accepted the invitation to come on this podcast because it's perfect to talk about. I'm, like, terrible with money. Uh, so I decided to just buy it outright. So I just bought the van outright. It took me, like, a month and a half. Uh, I did a bunch of research at first um, to find out about minivans. And it's, like, Odysseys uh, and the – what's the Toyota one I can't – Oh, um Oh, yeah. the, the Toyota, the Toyota and Honda, or what yeah, you looked they're, at. Those yeah, reliable. they're basically like one and one A. You know, that's yeah. basically what, and their resale value is through the roof. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I, you know, I uh, researched for a while and then I looked a bunch of different places before I got the right deal. And uh, I found that one in pretty good shape with low miles. And it's, and I've put like a lot of miles on it. It's been really good to me. So, it's been a good decision. One of the better ones I've made, I believe. No, that's sweet. And do you, and so you spend a lot of time in San Diego. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, L.A. The, the La Jolla Club. Uh, I do. Or, whenever I go there, I do La Jolla. Yeah. So are there a, a lot of other spots there? There's a uh, yeah. There's a bunch of other uh, independent shows there, mm-hmm. and now they have about four comedy clubs there. Oh wow! Yeah. So they have, well they have we yeah, have they have La Jolla Comedy Store of course, then they have Madhouse, then they have Comedy Palace, and then American Comedy Club. Wow, Comedy Palace is still going. There yeah, go. and then you know the new Madhouse. It was you know it's all it's all in the red light district, Madhouse and okay. American Comedy Club. But they're literally like two blocks away from each other. They're like a five minute walk. So if you plan it out right, you know you can do you know both clubs in one weekend. Nice. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's yeah it's totally worth it. Whenever I go there, I'm usually doing three spots a night on average, uh, and sometimes four. So I get the most out of it that I can. Uh, yeah, it's been beneficial. It's been great. That's cool. And are your parents um, super excited that you're doing comedy now? Do they support you in what you do? Um, my mom supports me in being happy. Uh, 
she's never come to a show. My sister's come to a show. Okay. Uh, my mom's like I said, still pretty religious. So I kind of, I'm not really that comfortable inviting her out until maybe I'm headlining, you know, mm-hmm. and then I know I could have some sort of control over what she's going to be hearing. Right. Uh, but you know, she really just, she's happy, uh, that I'm doing more and that, you know, I've really decided to go after it and they can, you know, my aunt who's always on Facebook and then my sister who's on Instagram and everything tell her all the stuff that I'm doing. So, uh, she, yes, we talk about it a lot more. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really cool. It's like the, the more I put into it, the more I'm getting out of it. And then the more people around me are enjoying it as well. So I'm gonna make do you have to do a lot of, um, your own social media and stuff? I mean, when you're a, when you're a comic, you're sort of a, uh, a, a, a self-employed yeah. kind of business. You're, I mean, you're everything. You you're know, your you're, branding. Yeah. You're your you're the writer. You're the director. You're the actor. You're the editor. You know, you're all of that stuff. So, yeah, everyone starts out doing their own stuff. And I was in the beginning. I was of the mind of, oh, I don't really, you know, I don't think my life's that cool. I don't, you know, there's no reason for me to post. But it's just really because I wasn't doing much. Uh, and even now, I post a lot more. But I don't post like, oh, this is where I'm having food today. I post more about shows and spots and the people I'm with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's So I'm not – I'm on so much more often than I was before, but it's very specific. So it's not really the run-of-the-mill days, everyday stuff unless something comes to mind. Mostly it's all comedy-related. Do you remember getting your first uh, check for doing comedy and, like, what was that like? Yeah, it was – unbelievable <laughs> i remember seeing this uh interview from patrice o'neill where he said you know that entertainment dollar just feels so much better than you know any other check that you receive and even okay so i do madhouse and if you're just doing the regular guest spots you get 25 dollars per show so for the weekend nice. it's four shows you get 100 bucks right so it's like it, it pays for the gas to get there essentially right um but like that hundred dollars me getting paid for my personality, you know what I mean? And for right. my thoughts, yeah, it's it's just much more valuable than the hundred, you know, and it leads to more, you know. So that's a yeah, if I can make a living off of just speaking into a microphone, something so that I mean, that's it's a dream. Yeah. What was it like opening for, like, let's say, uh, George Lopez or Damon Wayans? I mean, what, did you feel any pressure? Uh, I, so let's let's just clarify this sort of thing. Uh, oh, okay. Okay, so it wasn't like they took me on the road. Okay. Um, when you early – because this, this, this uh, bio is from relatively early on. <laughs> okay. It should probably be a little rewritten. So – it's the typical comic thing, whereas if you, when you're on the same show with them, got it. Uh, you know, then you say I open for because you go up before them, right? Yeah. So I laid I, the groundwork. Yeah. So I was booked for uh, the Latino show at the Ice House, and George Lopez was booked on the same show. So okay. that was an official booking. Right. Um, and then there's a couple other shows where like Damon Wayans popped in and uh, Tommy Davidson popped in on the mm-hmm. show. And then, so that's where those. No, that's great. Well, that's yeah. great. Did you um, did um, did any of them ever see your comedy or come up and tell you and say, "Dude, you're funny." Yeah. Uh, so yes, um, George Lopez did because a friend of mine, Dan Smith, because um, it was I was still pretty new when this happened, and this is when George was blowing up. Uh, I was still pretty new, and George was like a monster at the time, and so I had to actually follow him on a Latino show. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh. Yeah, right. I have to actually follow This will be him. the black portion of the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like also, it's like, first of all, I'm following a guy as a superstar right now. Right. And then also, he's Mexican, and it's a mostly Mexican audience, and it's a Mexican-themed show. So right. it's like, a, it, I was like kind of set up to fail. But my friend, you know, who had been doing comedy for a while, he gave me, um, he gave me, he told me what to do. He said, first off, go out and say, uh, give it up for George Lopez. Isn't it awesome? It's here. Let him cheer. And then say a little something. And then one more time, tell him to give it up for him so they get it out of their system. Right. And then tell a joke. And he gave me a joke. And if you remember, George had got his kidney from his wife. Okay. Uh, right. And he said, uh, he, he told me to go out there and say, I wish I would have known he didn't need a kidney because I would have given him one. I have like seven. You know, so it's just it was a fat joke and it but it worked super well. I mean, it I don't want to say it brought down the house, but it was right. it got such a great response. And, you know, in the early days of doing comedy, I would get sort of anxiety until I got the first laugh. Yeah. And then I could sort of breathe and like my chest would like not be tight anymore. And so that relaxed me. And then it was only a five minute set. And I I did really well. And I remember him saying, like, well, who's this guy going up after me doing like really really well and then he came up and said something to me um so that was like that was really that was really cool you know that's probably um one of the best piece of advice is you could have gotten yeah yeah like it is really hard to follow like name recognized yes uh, uh, celebrities but doing exactly that giving them the accolades and uh wow so and then just having a joke and then now they trust you yeah you know and then you know yeah so it was wow. great yeah it was a great experience Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so, all right, back to um, uh, talking about not, you know, downsizing and having a studio apartment, mm-hmm. paying cash for a car. Do you have a monthly budget? Uh, I don't, and that's where I'm really bad with money, and that's where the not talking about money in the family, I think, mm-hmm. is was bad because uh, I never saw my mom sit down to pay bills, mm-hmm. uh, and then I would have friends, you know, I'd go over to their house and I'd see their parents at the you know kitchen table you know, on the Sunday and they have like all the mail in front of them and they're just going through and working out stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then in turn, those friends, you know, later on, they, you know, were taking care of their bills, making sure the credit score is great, paying stuff on time. And it's just, I never saw that, but I did see my mom, you know, wait until it was a week before the, you know, the service, whatever the service was, mm-hmm. telephone, cable was going to be turned off and then pay the bill. So perpetually paying the bill in the late stages, and so that was something that, you know, I did myself. Uh, and it it wasn't a conscious thing. It was like, oh, she did it that way. I'm going to do it that way too. It's just that's how it happened. You know, I'm just – I'm really bad at budgeting money because, I mean, I just don't budget money. I'm, yeah. I'm just really bad. So whenever – there's been times where I've had more and there's been times where I have less. But it always seems like I have the same amount because I'm not right. doing anything more or less with that money or even saving really. That's the bad part. Well, let me – so I'm going to ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um so there's you know there's a few women comics that'll um uh that I've heard will get up and say you know I got my credit score better I stopped dating black men I started dating white men <laughs> to cre- do, is that a fair stereotype do you I mean or like does that an or does that bug you or does that like well okay so the the part that bugs me is just the laziness of that joke Right, uh, because <laughs> it's you know, used a lot. Yeah, it's used a lot, and then it's like you can hear the premise coming from a mile away. Right, um, you know, and I think with every stereotype, there's a little, you know, at least a grain of truth. Right, in it, and I think just in in the black community, I don't think there was a lot of 
financial education education and in fact in school there really isn't any financial education so uh watching what was that i was watching one of the 30 for 30s the espn documentaries and it's talked about the athletes going broke and it's like these guys are going their whole life not having a real job uh you know, and not really understanding money, and then they go and they start getting paid millions of dollars, yeah. and they don't really know what to do with it because they've never been taught how to maintain or how to save or how to invest. It's not something that's taught. It's something you have to learn. Uh, and so if – I always say this because the stereotype is black, uh, black people don't swim, right? Right. So th- this is how I explain that. Okay, it's like – First off, during slavery times, you know, water could be used as a border. Like, you can't escape because you can't swim, so you're not going to try to cross <laughs> through. But secondly, if my mom can't swim, why would she take me down somewhere and try to teach me to swim if she couldn't save me? Do you know right, what I mean? It just right. doesn't, it doesn't make that sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And so it's sort of along those lines. Like, if she wasn't taught about financial investing and planning and things of that nature – and she didn't actually go out and she's just kind of working her whole life and like paying the bills. Like she wasn't going to pass on that information because she didn't have. She just didn't have it. Yeah, she didn't have that information. And I think there is a lack of that information in, in the black community nowadays or for a while. Yeah. And, I, and I, I would definitely say I think a lot of people didn't get the financial download or like here's how to do it. Yeah. You know. And, and here, so the flip side of that is like one of my oldest friends, like when I first moved to California – uh in fifth grade, I just saw him. I was just back home this past weekend. Uh, <clears throat> he is right now building up his credit. And he didn't have bad credit. He just didn't have good credit. Yeah. So he's building up his credit. He bought a couple books online and read up about it. And then so he's to the point to where I think he has, in three years, his credit score is at like 740. Nice. Yeah. And he has maybe $180,000 in credit cards. So he has that much credit available to him. Wow. And he's not using it, but right. he's just building up his credit. And then we were talking about it. And he, and it's like, I'm going to buy the books. So I need to build mine as well. It's like, I want to be more of an adult. And I feel like financially I'm a child still. Uh, and he was saying this. And it's like, it blew my mind. It's like, it's easier to build up a million dollars in credit than it is to save a million dollars in your life. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah. And it's like, that's when true. you, and it's like, it's mind blowing. It's yeah. like, what that's. Because you think about, oh, work hard, you know, do this, keep your head down, and then like you, but it's like, no, not really. It's like you just kind of, the system's built for them to lend you money and then you get, yeah, and build your credit score and then you get all this sort of, yeah, it's this surplus of money that's at your disposal. And again, like I said, he's not using, he's he's using the card strategically um, so that he can increase his limit on all the cards and that his credit score goes up and that, you know, his life is just that much easier. You know, when your credit's great, you go anywhere, you get anything if you want it, you know, it's a whole lot cheaper. Yeah. It's a whole lot cheaper. It's a whole lot cheaper. No money down and then you pay the lowest amount, like that kind of thing. Everything adds up. Yeah. It adds up. What is your least favorite thing to spend money on? Oh, what's my least favorite thing to spend money on? Hmm. Probably car insurance, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. <laughs> right? That Chris Rock. In case shit. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it, but because it seems like w- when something happens, it's just so hard. Like they fight you tooth and nail. Yeah, to give you what yeah, you Yeah, to give for. you what you've been paying for yeah. this entire time. And it's, and I feel like it, the amount that you pay, it should be added or saved up. You know, so, so if I paid $10,000 <clears> over, I don't know, six years in insurance, 
Like, I should get that much back without you guys arguing with me. Like, anything other, over that, then maybe, you know. We can argue. Yeah, we can argue. But if I paid you that much, you've given that much, like, I should be able to get that much back. Give get me that my much money. Back. Yeah, because, like, my- they can put it into interest-bearing account, anything. You know, it's just helping their business grow. And I'm paying even if something doesn't happen. Well, just in case. Yeah, just in case. Exactly, <laughs> just in case. But with that said, my mom's car, like, two weeks ago, she was parked on someone's property, and it was really windy, really uh, strong winds up uh, in the Bay Area, and a branch fell out of a tree, and it ended up totaling her car. Wow. Yeah, but because she had full coverage insurance and she had gap insurance, so you know she's learned you know a decent amount because her credit score has gone up as well. She has gap insurance; uh, it was all covered, so she got all the money back that she owed for the you know being financed, plus a little bit extra, so she can put a down payment on a new car. So. She's learned some stuff financially. So that's sure. cool. Yeah. That's sweet. That's sweet. What do you love to spend money on? Uh, my honestly, like my vice is uh, playing poker. Like yeah. that's. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I'm not a blackjack guy. I'm not. I'm. 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 I'm not really a gambler. Like when you think of traditionally people who gamble, it's like they're betting on anything, betting on sports. I'm not that. I just really enjoy poker because it's like you're playing against people it's yeah that's fun so that's one of the things i spend money on uh sort of i don't say frivolously but money that i shouldn't spend i spend on that and i put myself in some spots before have you made enough money to report it all on your income taxes like fifty thousand dollars and uh um the most i won once was like twenty three thousand um oh, in, wow. a, in a tournament yeah sweet uh, uh and that in i honestly i should have the way that turned out, I should have sort of worked out the deal ahead of time because I was 50-50 with someone, so we split the cost of the buy-in, and right. then, you know, I won, and so we split the winnings, but I ended up taking all the tax, right. you know, so right. that uh, we didn't discuss that ahead of time, so I kind of screwed myself in that, <laughs> yeah, but now I have a, have a, yeah, now if, if it happens again, which I, in the last two years, probably 85%, I play 85% less poker now. Because okay. you know I'm out doing stuff. So uh, in the last two years, it's just a lot less. But if something happens, I'm ready for it now. I know exactly kind of what to do. You're so that ready. I don't have to, yeah, have to pay taxes on all of it. Well, sometimes you learn the hard way. But yeah, you exactly. Know, you paid the piper. Um, so what advice would you say to somebody that wants to go into uh, the creative world uh, where you may or may not make a million dollars? Like what would you tell somebody? What would you tell yourself? Well, I would say, some, well, for a lot of people, it's not possible, but I would say stay at home for as long as you can. Yeah. Uh, because everybody wants to be independent. It's like a really American thing. You know, you want to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, out of the gutter and succeed. It's like, no, just stay at home with your parents for a little while. A lot of people are doing it. Um, you know, you don't have to do it forever. But that way you can actually work harder and not have to – you can work harder at your craft or whatever it is you want to do and not have to worry about, you know, bills as much, you know, because, you know, ideally your parents will be somewhat supportive. I'm sure you might have to pay them a little bit of rent or something, whatever it is, but you're not going to be paying the same as you're living on your own. Yeah. So ideally I would say, yeah, definitely stay home a little bit longer and really just take advantage of the free time because that's something – like I regret all the time. It's like how much time I've had to do things versus how much I've done. And it's like I've wasted so much time. But it's like I just take advantage of that time, especially when 
you know, you don't have to spend that much money or it's not costing you a lot of time or resources, you know, get better at what you do. So then when you do make that leap, it'll just be that much easier. Yeah. It'll be that much faster to you're comfortable again. No, that yeah. sounds cool. Where do you hope to see yourself in 10 years from now? 10 years from now? Um, I don't really have those dreams of being like um, on on television and in movies. 10 years from now, I would just like to be a nationally headlining comic selling out, you know, doing getting door deals, of course. You know, yeah. And if you guys don't know what a door deal is, uh, you run in the middle comic. I call them kind of a cog comic where they're just like helping the system move along. They go and they get a standard rate for the weekend. You right. know? But when you get to the point to where you could help fill the room with your name, you get a deal of the door. So you get like a percentage of the ticket sales. And generally they boost the price of the ticket sales. So if, if they were 20 bucks and you get a door deal, they'll bump them up to 25 or 28 and then you get 50% of the ticket sales. And so instead of making 1500 to 3000 in a weekend, you're making like seven to 10,000 nice. in a weekend. And you can do two weekends a month and, and, be, and make a lot of money. You can, And then at that point, you don't have to live in the big city. You can move to the middle of the country and live like a king. You know, raise your family, send your kids to private school, you know, mm-hmm. the two-car garage, all that stuff you could have off comedy. And that's that's basically my dream. That and I would be, you know, doing voiceover as well. So, like, pretty low-key, not really out in the public eye, okay. but just working. Just working. And, yeah. would, would you move back to Fresno? No, not Fresno. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just checking. Yeah, just no, checking. not Fresno, for All sure. Right. <laughs> All right. So, it, well, so it sounds to me like... Uh, you're saying to people like don't waste your don't waste time yes um do a little bit of research right do the the work um if you don't know something get educated because it sounds like you've really done that got out and got educated about the car Mm -hmm. or trying to learn from your friends about how to do money stuff better absolutely and youtube guys oh my youtube is like the father i never had man (laughs) (laughs) honestly like anything you want to know and like because of like i said i've scaled back on the amount of money that i make i've had to do things like you know do a couple of small repairs to my car, you know, and it's like you look at the YouTube, you could find out how to do anything and, you know, you find out the price. <laughs> so, you know, that you're not getting it's like an unbelievable resource. It's literally has it's unbelievable. It's it's, I lo- it's yeah. the dad you never had. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love, that's awesome. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, so Facebook, it's uh, uh, Facebook dot com forward slash Quincy Weekly and Weekly is spelled W-E-E-K-L-E-Y. Um, same thing at, on Twitter. It's at Quincy Weekly. And then on Instagram, for some reason, someone had my name already. So it's at Quincy L as in Larry Weekly. So Quincy L Weekly on Instagram. So check them out on social media. Um, don't forget to share the laughs. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. And if you have a question you'd like to ask one of our future guests, you can visit us at our website, moneyyoushouldask.com, and click on Ask Bob. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. For more tips, stories, financial tools to help you have a healthier relationship with money, be sure to check out The Money Nerve. Quincy, it has been a pleasure having you on here. I so appreciate you coming down. Thank you for having me. This has been fun, and I'm like it feels good to talk about this stuff, and hopefully hopefully people learn um, from this. Just yeah, pay a little bit more attention and like yeah, go out and just do your thing and be happy. Um, and yeah, and yeah, be happy and do what you love and don't waste the time. That's right. And check out YouTube. Yeah. Check out YouTube. (laughs) (laughs)